Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ecolona, and this is Nashville. The holidays are the busiest time of year for hospitality workers. Need proof? Head out to your favorite restaurant or bar in town and see how long it takes you to get a table or a drink. Hotels are booked to capacity. Reservation lists are miles long, and the demand for good service is through the roof. So next time you're out and you see a tired service industry worker, show them some patience and extend a little extra holiday grace. They are working hard for you. My next guests are here to talk about what the holidays are like for hospitality workers. Stephen Gilbert is a local server with 14 years experience and the host of the podcast, Waiting Tables. And Jen Seeger is city director for Big Table Nashville. Stephen, Jen, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Really great to have you both. Now, Stephen, I'd like to start with you. Tell me, how does the holiday season affect you as a hospitality professional? So I'm somebody that has probably seen a very unique side of the holidays. As you said, 14 years in the industry, I've, I've seen it all, done it all. I worked at two very specific locations long-term that are heavily based on tourism. I worked downtown at another Broken Egg Cafe, and then I worked at the Aquarium Restaurant, which is in Opry Mills, just outside of downtown Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're coming to Nashville and you jump on Google and you say, what do I do while I'm here? Where do I eat? Those two restaurants pop up towards the top of that list every single time, even to this day, Aquarium does. The Aquarium is a restaurant with a 200,000-gallon aquarium that sits in the center of the restaurant, and it shares a parking lot with the Opryland Hotel, which is one of the most visited destinations for the holidays, period. Okay. The Gaylord Opryland, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, They do it big for Christmas there, so... Every year, just on the other side of Thanksgiving, it's pedal to the floor every single day. Um, you want to get in there and, and work as many days as you can, get that holiday money. Um, and it's it's kind of like you clock in and you almost black out and you wake up <laughs> on the other side of that 12 hours because for about five weeks straight, you're on a two-hour wait, your section is full. The moment you drop that check with somebody and they're done and they're up, you're hit again with another table. So, and that's just how it goes. So tell me how much energy is required to keep up with the pace of the holidays and, and a restaurant? I would say energy and sanity mm. to keep up with the pace of the holidays. Um, you really can't make it through a holiday season if you're not um, giving yourself at least six to eight hours of sleep a night. If you're not getting up and having a proper breakfast, um, bringing a gallon of water with you to work, several energy drinks. Uh, bars throughout the day, mm-hmm. power bars, um, <laughs> not shots. Uh, <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of focus. You know, I, having worked in the industry myself, I understand mm-hmm. like the demand of serving in a very busy bar or a restaurant. But for our listeners, you know, tell us how tense does it get in the workplace during the holidays? It can be real tense um, because, as I said before, your section's going to be full. You're going to have that two to three hour wait um, constantly throughout the day, and you are operating at higher level than you may at other times in the year. And so if, uh, you know, perhaps a coworker is not pulling their share or 
maybe somebody is, that doesn't go out to eat very often kind of gives you a hard time while you're working, that can be a setback that kind of unravels the entire day mm-hmm. for you. So things are just tense from open to close. Well, how know? do you stay calm in that environment? Um, so this might be a little cheesy, but one, one thing that was given to us in our handbook at, uh, I believe it was another broken egg, which, um, stuck with me, it says be a duck. Hmm. So always paddling below the water, calm on top. Oh, and that's a very cheesy way to put it, but I've, I've kind of implemented that to my service style for my entire career. No matter what's going on in the back of the house, no matter how stressed you may be, no matter how busy you may be, if you can approach your table each and every time you arrive there with a deep breath and a calmness, then that kind of provides them that same calmness. Mm-hmm. They look around, they see a very bu- busy restaurant. They've waited two hours to get here. The last thing that they want to do is end up with a server that looks like they're just trying to keep their head above water. Mm. And it takes a lot to practice that uh, perpetually, but that would be an, a piece of advice that I would give to anybody new in the industry is that if you can manage to just kind of um, reserve and collect yourself each and every time you hit that table, that's going to translate into a better experience for your guest, a better experience for you. And however tense things may be, if you can achieve that, then it's going to provide mm-hmm. a smoother experience. So be like a duck. Be like a duck. It's wise, yeah. but it's cheesy. <laughs> now, now, Jen, you're with Big Table Nashville. Yes. What, what are some of the situations in the service industry that workers may face that your organization can help with? Yeah. Um, well, let me just real briefly say what our organization does. So Big Table is actually a nonprofit that is focused solely on caring for those who work in restaurants and hospitality basically hotels, so restaurants, hotels, um, and we care directly with those workers. So what that looks like is you've got a coworker who's struggling, maybe their car broke down, um, a friend would refer them, we'd reach out personally, make contact, if we could pay for the car repair, we would. Um, and so we're seeing all the little things that would be a normal barrier for someone to work or to pay bills. Um, that would be where we would come in. And the goal would be really relationship and long-term mentoring. Um, so we see everything. Um, you know, it's funny. We A lot of folks feel like COVID caused the challenges in the hospitality. It, it just revealed it. Ah. You know, so y'all are talking about the holidays. The reality is it's hard in this industry 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you might not have as much busyness, but the actual stress of the industry just in general is is kind of it's the largest group of folks, um, an industry in our nation. And yet they have the highest rate of poverty, two times as much as the next largest industry. And so statistically, drug and alcohol, all that. So there's just a lot of needs there, whether it's um, financial, mental health. Um, we're just leaning into all of those things. Now, do you see... 365 year, days a year, this mm-hmm. is a very hard job to, yeah. to perform in. Are there any specific needs that pop up during the holiday season? Well, for sure, one of them is folks feeling like they can't afford Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I last year I was walking with a, a single mom with three girls, and her stressor was wanting to be able to afford presents. Um, you know, we had helped her avoid an eviction and had helped in those ways, and yet, even though we were talking about big scale things like losing your apartment, losing your home, she also would mention 
presents, (laughs) you know, that wanting to be able to create a Christmas for her children. So absolutely. I mean, you're working harder. People might be more impatient with you. And you're also trying to create memories with your own family, if possible. You may be asked to work mm-hmm. on Christmas. And, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder about health care coverage, because this is an industry that doesn't really get those type, type of benefits. Correct. Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely real. Um, the nice thing is Nashville's really kind of exceptional as far as the nonprofit world. And so we have some different clinics and other that, that work with the underinsured or the uninsured. And so we have partnerships with them. And so... You know, there are differently ways to try to address those healthcare needs, but that is one of the big issues is um, injury or illness that just you can't work. So when you're not working, you're not making money because mm-hmm. you don't get sick pay. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, the bills for the actual treatment. So you can see where you just people, why people are undone by an incident or a single thing that happens. Now, you know, you, you spoke more briefly about how the pandemic revealed mm. a lot of these problems, but... You know, how were you all able to assist service industry workers during the pandemic? Well, so Nashville didn't open actually till after the pandemic. So Big Tables existed since 2009 in on the West Coast in Spokane, Washington. We have an operation in San Diego as well. Um, and they were both open pre-pandemic. And what ended up happening is it went to just pure triage because you can't meet with people. You couldn't be face-to-face. And, and to be perfectly honest, it was um, basically paying rent for everybody. Yeah. Um, it, it was, And then we also got a lot of really generous grants because people were looking for places to support some of these industries that they now saw being crushed. And so it was very much just paying bills, not really getting to know people. Um, and that was the main way that it was addressed was um, – but Nashville actually opened after that in July of 21. So we've only been here a year and a half. So – Nashville opens up in yeah. July of 2021. Mm-hmm. I wonder real quick, Stephen, you know, has this holiday season been the busiest you've seen since the pandemic? Absolutely. Um, last year was very busy where I'm at um, the establishment that I am now, just because it felt like it was the first time that everybody felt really okay to go back out. So we got kind of hit comparatively to how 2020 and 2021 had been. But so far this season, when I've been present, it has absolutely been, everybody is just excited to be out. Yeah. Um, It's just busy. Yeah. Open to close, which is a great thing. We have to take a short break. Question, are you working in Nashville's hospitality industry? What's it like for you right now? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The phrase, in the weeds, is commonly used in the hospitality industry. It means that workers are dealing with the complexities of the job and are overwhelmed. Think about those long lines to get into a busy bar or a restaurant where every table is full. Sometimes all of those parties arrive at the same time. As a worker, you have to juggle seven tasks simultaneously, all while keeping that smile on your face. Yes, it's tense, but it can also be exhilarating. And there's nothing like the calm and quiet of an establishment when all the patrons are gone and the staff finally gets to take a breath. That is my perspective. 
I have a pretty good feeling that my next guest can relate. Joseph Hunter is a local bartender with 30 years experience, and he joins me now. Joseph, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate having you here. So you know all about the weeds, right? I do. Yeah, it's... uh yeah, it's been an evolving concept for me over the years. Yeah, I've served and bartended both, so very much so. Talk to me real quick. I'm yep. intrigued. How has it evolved for you over the years? Um, <laughs> was thinking about uh, when you first mentioned that just now, uh, how that kind of how I would meditate on that. For me, it's uh, I'm everyone gets to the point where like you you recognize and you're conscious of the fact that you have a lot going on. Um, I'll fully admit that I get a high off of like being able to multitask. It's kind of like runner's high a little bit. I think a lot of servers, if you've done it for a while, if once you've crossed that threshold of feeling very overwhelmed and you notice, for me, it's also about in the moment where you think I've got a lot going on and when you think you really need to speed up, that's when I'll actually intentionally make myself slow down a little mm. bit because I'll, I'll forget something. I'll make myself take a breath. I'll make myself take a moment. I'll even just stop and take a sip of water, you know? So it's, it's kind of like uh, contradictory to what your instincts might tell you to do. I'll intentionally stop for a moment because I feel like if I don't, that's, if you feel like you're going to get in the weeds, you're going to make yourself mm. make a mistake in getting in the weeds. So you'd rather get it done right than get it done 100%, quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's like Stephen was saying, Stephen, sorry, is it Stephen? Yes. Stephen was saying, sorry about that. Stephen yeah. was saying earlier, guests can sense um, when you're, when you're frazzled and they don't want an experience like that. I've worked in Everything from very, very fine dining, which I don't do anymore because uh, I'd like to be able, uh, be able to express a little more of my, my personality a little bit more sincerely instead of just kind of standing on the wayside. I've done that. I've done very casual. I've done – currently I work in establishments that have all the, the steps of service, all the professional aspects of high-end serving, but it's a very vibey concept. So you're able mm-hmm. to express yourself in a very personable way. So. Um, you know, I think it's guests can really notice so if you're very frazzled. So they want you to be yourself in the, the environments I work in, but they want you to be calm and collected as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, the holiday season's been full swing here in Nashville. Absolutely. How do you approach work during this time of year? Uh, I like it personally. I request to work all the holidays personally. Um, I'm not a, a big participant in like traditional holidays. I like to see my family. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, if I, I, if I can see my family on Christmas Eve, which is traditionally when we celebrate, then I'll see them Christmas day. I usually volunteer to work okay. <laughs> if we're, if we're open in a concept, um, Thanksgiving, I like to see my family as well, but, um, I've, I've intentionally also sought out concepts that, uh, have a type of demographic that come in that really appreciate their servers on the holidays. So I, I do roll on the holidays. I enjoy working. I enjoy uh, helping facilitate a a special experience for people. So I don't mind working on the holidays personally. And it's a pretty lucrative time of year. Very much so. Mother's Day is amazing for me, um, <laughs> whether it's a traditional holiday, like the end of the year holidays, but I enjoy working Mother's Day very much. So people are very appreciative. So it's very lucrative as long as you can kind of balance your task and not feel overwhelmed. You know, one holiday that I found in my experience working in the service industry that is not as lucrative as you may think Valentine's Day. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Sometimes you expect it to be a great day, but depending on mm. how the date goes, mm. there goes mm. your tips. Mm. Now, you know, do patrons <laughs> normally act differently at this time of year? Um, yes and no. I think I think it really depends on the type of concept you're working in. And that's just that's just been my personal experience. Uh, I think that um, 
You know, I, I think that the, the type of concepts I've been lucky to, to find myself employed by over the last several years, uh, my patrons, my guests are all just appreciative all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I, I pride myself and really enjoy being really knowledgeable about food and wine. So they just enjoy someone that, you know, has them in good hands. I like to, um, as a good friend of mine used to say, drive the boat, drive the train for them. So mm-hmm. people appreciate that. Um, there's an expression common in the service industry, control your table. So it's that's kind of a, a loose construct. So you want them to know they're in good hands. But if you can't control your table in a really gracious, sincere, I've got you kind of sensibility, then you will get overwhelmed. And mm-hmm. you will find yourself, if you're you know, triple or quadruple set, not being able to facilitate things in an efficient manner and really get in the weeds in a bad way. Now, local server Stephen Gilbert and Jen Seeger with Big Table Nashville are still with us. Jen, did you see a lot of people leave the industry due to the pandemic? Um, Yes. (laughs) Um, I think for folks who um, were unable to work because their restaurant either closed or, you know, cut hours, they many people took that as an opportunity to explore other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, I think a lot of industries experience loss, but I believe the hospitality industry probably at the higher end. Um, it was also a harder job to keep during the pandemic because you can't really do it remotely. Mm. And you're and then if nobody's traveling. So it had such a ripple effect. So um, one of the things we hear the most from the restaurants we partner with um, is they all need staff. Um, which then creates a burden on the staff who are physically there because they're working harder or more, covering more tables. So there seems to be a ripple effect. But again, I do think a lot of what we're seeing probably always has existed mm-hmm. in a way. And because um, we've been trained not to see the industry, and you know, when you think about how you sit at a table and you're talking to everybody, looking at everybody, and you're barely making eye contact with your server sometimes, mm-hmm. like. It's so a lot of what Big Table um, exists to do is to try to get more people to see the industry and see them as actual people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and that's kind of the beginning of a shift. Now, there's a lot of restaurants, as you said, they remain short staffed from fine dining to fast food. Stephen, you know, Jen was talking about this distress it puts on people. What does the challenge what challenges do you face that's that created your job when you're dealing with a short staff? You know, I, one of the first things that comes to mind is that the guest or the patron that may have not worked in the service industry um, doesn't necessarily have the ability to wrap their head around when a restaurant is short-staffed. Um, I've seen that through my entire career, but we saw it very uh, revealed. Jen mm. used that word revealed earlier. Through the pandemic, um, you know, I was there the day my restaurant closed and I was on the list of people that were called back the day it reopened. And it didn't really feel like things got back to normal until almost the beginning of this year. It was almost a solid two years that we were dealing with being short-staffed. And so, you know, as far as on paper, if you're used to running a shift with 12 servers and then suddenly you've only got six Mm -hmm. because people don't feel comfortable working or they – decided to do something else, whatever the reason. Um, You know, we were at 50% capacity for a long time. We were also at 50% staff and not because that was anybody's choice. That's just how it worked out. So, you know, as a strong server, as a lead server, when you lose half of your team, um, 
you're taking more tables. You're running more food. It might take you another couple steps to get to where you should have been if you'd been full staffed. And as I said before, the patron that hasn't worked in the industry doesn't really understand it. They're just, they're seeing it as I'm waiting longer for these things and I don't really know why. Mm. Um, and you don't ever want to, and it's a last resort, but you don't ever want to have to come to your table and be like, hey, we're short staffed. Sorry, this is not the usual experience because that's just a tough look. Yeah. But it got to that point sometimes if somebody would be so just outside of themselves because they had to wait a couple extra minutes for something and they might start berating you or the restaurant or whoever they can grab, you got to stop and be like, hey, guess what? Things are different right now. Yeah. We we should have, you know, double the staff we have and we just don't. Joseph, how about you? How does working at a short staffed bar, mm. what is, how does it affect you? Uh, I mean, it's been bartending and serving for me. Um, my first uh, job uh, dining, it was a serving job uh, coming out of COVID though, when uh, we reopened. It was actually in uh, the Cold Springs area. It wasn't in Nashville. They opened a bit early, uh, earlier out there than they did in Nashville for a few reasons. Um, it was, uh, we were short staffed. Um, my biggest concern, my biggest frustration wasn't really with guests. Most of our guests were completely understanding. They would even preface, they would even cut me off if I would say, I'm so sorry. They would know where I was going with it. They would say, we know you're short-staffed. We don't care. It's fine. Take your time. 90% of our guests would say that. Mm -hmm. My frustrations uh, really came with ownership and management for not caring. You know, you're expendable um, during the time period where masks were still mandated in restaurant. We would have no air conditioning in, in the heat. We would have no heat in the winter. It would just be, you would just be literally dripping sweat, which is not a good look for someone who is any, any service industry position, but someone's paying $50 for a plate of food mm. and you're literally trying to wipe sweat from your brow. So my frustrations didn't really lie with guests, maybe, maybe twice during the whole time coming out of the, you know, when we went to the dining, it really lied with ownership and management. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Lake Alona. We're talking this hour about the industry that keeps a town like ours afloat, the hospitality industry. Now, I, I do I do want to touch on something real quick. You just talked about how owners and management kind of ignore and see hospitality workers, service workers as expendable. That kind of, Jen, that kind of makes me feel like what you just mentioned with patrons making them invisible in a sense. Yeah. You know? And like the respect that's, that, that's needed. I mean... What will it take to get to get hospitality workers, particularly service industry workers, the respect that they're due? Gosh, I mean, <laughs> you, I mean where do you start? I, I was on a webinar yesterday that was all about the tip, you know, just the tip. And we're our states that, you know, two dollar and 13 cent. We're at the lowest kind of end of that. So some of it is what they were talking about is we've got to quit equating a low wage job with a low skill job. Mm. In other words, don't underestimate somebody's gifts and their skills just because they aren't getting maybe paid what they should be getting paid, which mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting way to, to kind of look at it. And it was coming from a server who was saying that. Um, so part, but I think a lot of it, this is where I think this is one of the gifts of COVID is, is we've gotten out of our bubbles a little bit. And I think we have a little more empathy um, and a little more awareness um, of other people's experiences. And so I think that's a start. Um, but I mean, what I tell people is you start by tipping without it being a grade, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. have 20% be the bottom and, and, and quit, move away from this sort of 
punishment-based way of tipping Mm -hmm. and instead think in terms of humanity and how can, you know, what would this extra $5 do to that person's day when I would spend that for a cup of coffee? So some of it really is just down to the individual. Mm -hmm. And when you start valuing things, you usually spend money on it. (laughs) So, you know, honestly, a lot of it is patronize these establishments and pay well. Mm-hmm. I got about a minute left. So, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Stephen, you host a podcast called Waiting Tables. What inspired you to start this? Years of being in the, in the industry, excuse me. Um, you know, the it really boils down to you have those shifts where you just get beat up and then you go out with your coworkers after and you sit around and you talk about all the funny, all the atrocious, all the really unfortunate things that happen during your shift and you laugh about it. So I thought, what if we could bring that to life in a podcast? Uh, my co-host Brooke and I, who I've, I've known for a couple years, um, we created this little podcast and it's literally a space that we bring on our favorite servers that we've worked with anybody in the industry that has these great stories. Everyone has these stories that are hilarious <laughs> that just get you, you know, remembering what it's all about. We sit and we talk and we laugh and um, it's a very unique concept. And then every couple of weeks, uh, my co-host Brooke and I kind of share what's going on in our restaurant in real time. Mm. We've got a bit called Weekend Notes where we just kind of exchange the funniest, most outrageous things <laughs> that happened to us literally that weekend. Okay. And it's just a great time. All right. I'm really excited about this. Real quick, Joseph, mm. what do you want people to know about Nashville's service industry? It's amazing. Uh, people care here tremendously. Uh, I care. I, I, you know, serving for me when I first got the job, it was this is quick money. It's easy. Over the years, I, it's a really special thing to help facilitate a lovely experience for people, whether they want to dine alone quietly or whether it's a party. I love taking care of parties. Um, hospitality in Nashville and just the city in general has a real like definitive electricity to it. And I feel like it's one of the most sincere hospitality cities in the country. That is veteran bartender Joseph Hunter. He is was joined by longtime server Stephen Gilbert, host of the podcast Waiting Tables, and Jen Seeger with Big Table Nashville. Thanks to you all for being with us. Thank you for the work that you do, and be really good to yourself over the holidays. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the hospitality industry at large and ask, how does it work here in Nashville? Are you a hospitality worker? What would you like to see change for you and your colleagues? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. Working in the hospitality industry can mean a lot of things. Earlier in the show, we heard from two workers from the bar and restaurant branch of the hospitality tree. But there are several pieces of the hospitality puzzle. And for a town that relies so heavily on tourism, we've got it all. From music venues to party buses to hotels. My next guests are here to give us a big picture view of the hospitality industry and how it runs in our city. Lisa LeClaire is CEO and president of the Greater Nashville Hospitality Association. And Ron Lustig is the principal architect in charge of hospitality with Earl Swenson Associates. Lisa, Ron, thanks for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. 
Thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you so much, Khalil. I'm glad to be here. Really a pleasure to have you both. So, you know, Lisa, tell us all about how the Tell us about the Greater Nashville Hospitality Association and the work that it does. Sure. So we um, advocate for the hospitality industry. Um, We work on um, some issues such as those party buses. Um, We're pro-party bus, but we think that uh, sometimes there's too many of them and maybe the party gets a little out of hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we advocate for things like the city working to regulate um, those kinds of things. Uh, We also work with hotels, restaurants, and the related businesses around hospitality and help uh, support them in a variety of different ways. Um, And mostly we want to communicate the positive impact that tourism has on our economy Uh, locally. Now, I understand that you've been in the hospitality industry for 40 years and you've worked all sorts of jobs. I started when I was two, and that's correct. (laughs) I've been there for 40 years. Um, I've done everything from being a a bus person to working in accounting uh, to training and consulting and uh, managing hotels. So how does that wide variety of, of experience, how does that help you in the role that you have now? You, you know, I think it helps uh, helps keep me balanced in um, the events and activities that our organization does, uh, knowing that I'm working with busy professionals in the industry. Um, they, they want to get together. They want to gather. They want to hear about what's going on, but they do have a, a limited time frame. It also helps me connect uh, people like Jen uh, Seeger with Big Table, who you just had on, connect her with our industry uh, in places where she can help and assist. Question, how much focus does your organization put on the worker experience? Um, you know, primarily we're we're broader based, uh, but we do get involved in the worker experience. I hear from our members about uh, difficulty with uh, parking downtown, for instance, and trying to help them find different solutions uh, to that situation. Uh, we work in uh, workforce development. Um, this morning I was just attending a meeting uh, in the mayor's office. Uh, it's a youth um a program that we're uh, working on a, an exploration and alignment opportunities for youth uh, task force. Mm-hmm. Now, Ron, you're an architect. Let me ask you, how how do you design for hospitality? Well, you've got uh, two things you have to think about. One is the guest experience, and then you also have to think about the worker experience, who's serving that guest Because, you know, hospitality is all about making things warm, friendly, inviting. And, you know, most people are on a vacation or in a meeting, and they don't want to have a hassle. They want an easy check-in. They want their rooms cleaned. And so what you got to think about is how you uh, work and make that flow work well so services can be uh, sort of seamless for the guest. And, you know, you think about, um, you know, how, you know, there are issues today with um, employees, getting employees to work. And you got to think about how the, how you can make that environment better for that employee. Mm-hmm. How can you make them more efficient? How can you f- make them feel just as important as the guest? So those are some of the things that you look at. What are some of, well, real quick, can you give me an example of how the design of a building can make things better for a worker? Well, you know, it's as simple as, um, you know, making it easy for 
the employees to change out their maid carts, making sure the corridors are wide enough, making sure that the bathrooms are easy to clean, and, and the materials that go into it. So it makes their job a lot easier. Um, all to the point of even, you know, when a, an employee comes into, you know, the back of the house, is it, are they going down a dark corridor or is it, uh, you know, a pleasant experience just like the guest is going through? Um, some things that we've done in some hotels, you know, when you walk in the, in the, when the employee comes in, there might be a monitor that says, hey, happy birthday, you know, just, you know, uh, this is your third year. Congratulations. That goes a long way to making a loyal employee. Tell me, what are some of the projects you worked on here in Nashville? Uh, everything from Opryland Hotel to uh, the Holston House. Uh, we've got the um, uh, Tempo that's going up. Uh, worked on Lowe's Vanderbilt Plaza. Uh, a variety. I think uh, the firm's done well over seven or 8,000 guest rooms. Uh, our firm is, or I've had the experience and the firm has had a great experience. The fact that we've worked on two of the oldest, uh, five-star hotels in the United States, the Broadmoor and the Greenbrier. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a great experience and we've worked with, um, everything from helping rebuild the Swanee Inn and at, uh, the University of the South. So a variety of things. So you've designed places all over Nashville and across the globe. Yes. What sets Nashville's hospitality scene apart? I think it's, um, it all goes to the friendliness of the community and sort of the ease of getting around, um, you know, and it, it's also having great facilities. Uh, that's so important that Nashville has done a good job of updating and keeping their facilities current, meeting room space, making great experiences for tourists. That's what, you know, Nashville takes hospitality and the welcomingness of the city. That's the important part. Now, Lisa, our city is known across the world for so many things, music, healthcare, education. Well, so what makes Nashville a great place for hospitality? How does it stand out from other destinations? You, you know, one of the things, um, we, we don't have a beach. Mm. Uh, we don't have um, a mountain. We don't have that kind of attraction, if you will. So... So really, all of the music venues and all kinds of different music venues um, are great restaurant, uh, great restaurants that we have here, and really first-class um, museums and opportunities for people to see a variety of. Um, I mean, you could spend days here and not even touch uh, a fifth of what we have um, available. Now. How has the scene changed here in Nashville over the years? Well, that's a great question. I have been here for 30 years now. And um, 30 years ago, I remember when the streets downtown rolled up hmm. and people just exited downtown. There was nothing going on. And, um, you know, certainly with the addition of um, uh, national sports, uh, our NFL, uh, the Bridgestone Arena, uh, now soccer, um, I think that um, a, a lot has changed. The Music City Center, by building that convention center, um, you know, that added another whole element. When, when I look at our industry, we really, um, we have the tourist and then we have conventioneers. 
um, and unite and business travelers. So you really like to have a nice mix of all three of those groups mm-hmm. uh, in order to sustain your business. And and we really have it all for all of them. And they can combine those. So if you're here for con- convention, you can you know bump it up to a, a concert at the Ryland or a, a Predators game, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that's a lot to offer. Now, development has put a big focus on space and affordability. Are you concerned that Nashville will outgrow itself in what it's capable of handling? I'm not concerned that we're going to outgrow it. I am concerned that um, that we have to figure out how to continue to make it better. Mm. Um, you know, I think that the city's working on a couple of big projects right now. One is um, Connect Downtown with NDOT. Um, uh, Nashville Department of Transportation is doing a study on how we are moving uh, traffic through the downtown corridor. And um, I know that's a years-long study uh, and kind of comes on the heels of other studies that have been done. But I think this one, um, this time we're going to get it right. Um, I look at things like um, potentially the new stadium across the river and developing the East Bank. And I think that gives us an opportunity to spread out a little bit and maybe find some solutions to uh, affordable housing and, and other issues that the city has to face. You know, Ron, I'm curious. Are there you know, any new forms of design that can really help the hospitality industry grow but not put a cramp on the limited space that we have available? Um, there are some things that uh, the hospitality industry is changing in terms of um, the guest rooms, uh, even to the point of you take the Holston House, which was uh, originally the um, – uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, I don't remember either. I just read it yesterday. Um, <laughs> it was a conversion, uh, and it had been a hotel, converted to some uh, Section 8 housing, then converted back to a hotel. And we took those guest rooms and even thought through the process of, you know, now they're more than two or three. You, you've got bachelor parties, groups of people coming in, and how to compete with Airbnb and the hotels and so we did things where there are actually uh, a bathroom, two bath sets of bathrooms in the guest room, mm. so that breaks it up so that more people can be there, um, you know. And it's always trying to increase the, uh, you know, meeting space and make things better and keep things on a cutting edge. That is Ron Lustig. He's the principal architect in charge of hospitality with Earl Swenson Associates. He was joined by Lisa LeClaire, CEO and president of the Greater Nashville Hospitality Association. Thank you both for being with us today. Thanks you for everything that you do. Have a great holiday. Great. Thank Thanks, you very Cole. much. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll talk with Jad Abumrad, founder and former host of Radiolab about his life and career and growing up here in Nashville. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. We want to give a super shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. It's her last day, and we want to thank her for all of her awesome work that she's done over the past few months. You you rock 
Tori. The masterminds behind our theme musical, Orange in the Mirror Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Le Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.